Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Good afternoon, listeners. This is the Dogs Program. The Australian Council for Defence of Government Schools are here every Saturday at 12 noon to defend and to promote public education. That's education that's public in purpose and outcome. Above all, it is public in access. It's accessible to all children and it should be public in ownership and control. Private-public partnerships are just not good enough for public education, should also be publicly funded. The only one that's publicly funded because it's the only one that could be publicly accountable. And our governments, if they were genuine democratic governments, would make sure that every child in Australia had a first-rate public education and had schools that were available for every child in Australia. A proper public education Choice. Now, we know that this is not the case and it is becoming less and less the case, but we also know that it is possible that this could be the case because it has been the case before in Australian history and it is the case presently in the world, in the Scandinavian countries, in Germany and in all of the countries that are ahead of Australia in PISA and other tests. We have a website at www.adogs.info and this is the press release 693 which will be going up in the next day or so. Privatisation of education, another Australian failure. When the dogs were formed in the period 1964 to 1969, state aid to private religious schools, most particularly the Catholic sector, was intended to prop up schools that could not or would not pay their way. Australian taxpayers were expected to provide needs for an increasing number of needy schools, however wealthy they might be in fact. The specious economic argument of the private sector have long been disproved. A first-rate public system would prove cheaper, more socially cohesive and more educationally effective than the current arrangements. In the 1960s, dogs predicted that the bolstering of a private system would prove bad for one, democratic institutions, two, the legal as well as the parliamentary arms of government, three, educational standards in the international context, and four, religion. They have been proved correct on every point. 
Their High Court case in 1981 proved points one, two and four, namely that it was bad for our democratic institutions, that it was disastrous for our legal as well as the parliamentary arms of government because it undermined their integrity. And it has certainly been very bad for religion when you look at what has happened uh, to some of the Catholic schools that were run by the Christian Brothers and Sons of God or whatever their name is and others. Now, Trevor Cobald, in his latest research, has proved them correct on point three. That's the dogs correct on point three. That is that educational standards in the international context have been very badly affected by state aid to religious schools. And we give you his research um, points. Uh, He has a website, all his work is produced on the website Save Our Schools, and in the last week he has produced two most excellent factual papers, which Robert will be referring to in uh, very shortly. Now, since the 1980s, the preferential funding of the private sector under the needs rhetoric of the Lib Labs and the selling off of public school facilities to the private sector has been exacerbated by the neoliberal market-laid-up-in-heaven ideology. Many valuable public facilities, which were our children's inheritance, together with their income stream for governments, have been sold off. Central bureaucracies that were set up in the 19th century to provide accountability for expenditure of public monies have been run down or taken over by private interests. Corruption is rife, and we have recently seen this uh, in the education department itself here in Victoria. And we were very lucky that the uh, corruption watchdog uh, picked it up and supported the uh, whistleblowers in the department. But it should never have happened in the first place. And politicians in the major parties are becoming the servants of newly enriched oligarchs rather than the electors. Or some of them are even oligarchs themselves. Or else they have become the servants of CEOs of multinational corporations. So... The highlight of question time in Parliament in this last week was shortened calling Mr Turnbull Mr Harbourside Mansion and Turnbull retaliating accusing Shorten of consorting with the Pratt family. Is it any wonder that voters are wondering whether our Parliament itself, along with our education, electrical, water and transport services, is being contracted out? Now, uh, that is our press release 693, and we have reproduced uh, for your edification and information the work done by Trevor Cobald of Save Our Schools, What's Behind Australia's Tottering Results, and his other paper on um, not just PISA, but also the increasing disadvantaged the new study that shows that more money improves results of disadvantaged students uh, is another one that you may wish to look at on his website. But the uh, very important work that he has produced has a great deal of information on the resource gaps between the advantaged and disadvantaged schools, which has now reached the largest in one amongst the largest in the world. 
But I will pass you over to Robert now after a little bit of music and uh, he will inform you of some of this wonderful work that is being done by Trevor Cobald and his helpers in Save Our Schools. Uh, Trevor Cobald, by the way, used to work for the Productivity Commission and he is one of these um, statistics with kids.
Has your subscription lapsed? We want you back. Spend more than the evening with us. Reunite with us. Subscribe to 3CR and get excited. Call 9419 8377 or donate online, 3cr.org.au. And let's get back together. It'll feel so good. Welcome back to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. The dogs, the defenders of government schools. That's who we are. That's what we do. Um, We are constantly at war because we are the defenders of government schools against those people who attack them. Um, They attack them for various reasons. But behind the background of this in Australia is the functional environment of Australia's education systems, plural, that is the state school system, the Catholic school system and the independent school system, uh, the state schools systems um, becoming worse and worse and worse uh, to the point where now in Australia we are not just um, off the top rung, rung, we're in the middle rung and in some cases we are the winners, we are the winners in the bottom rung, we are the winners in despair, we are the winners of mendacity when it comes to education around the world. And Trevor Cobalt has quite, as Jim was quite rightly pointing out, has pointed out where we are the winners down the bottom, the wooden spooners. One of the things that Australia does worst in the world is equity. Um, We are one of the most unfair education systems, plural, um, in the world today. Um, And this is alongside the fact that the results that's being produced from our world-class unfairness uh, are getting worse and worse. And I'm going to do with these two things separately. Um, firstly, I'm going to discuss what it is that Australia is, is, is failing at in terms of um, equity. And then I'm going to talk about what Australia, in terms of what Australia's systems are failing at in terms of results. Because these two things are so strongly correlated that our Federal Education Minister needs to think about them in, as, as a causal relation, as many people now are. Now, on February the 13th, on the Save Our Schools website, Trevor Cobold wrote a very interesting paper, um, an education research brief entitled Resource Gap Between Advantaged and Disadvantaged Schools Among the Largest in the World. Um, But just to pre-see this on his website, which is worth looking out for, just by the way, if you're interested, it's www.saveourschools.com.au. He writes that disadvantaged students in Australia are being denied equal opportunities to learn both both because they have less access to qualified teachers and material resources than advantaged students and because the tying in of how much money their parents have is now one of the determining factors of how well they are going to be educated in this country. Now, the gap in access to education resources between advantaged and disadvantaged students in schools in Australia is among the largest in the world and indeed the OECD. And this is drawn from not just him opinionating, this is not drawn from alternate facts, this is not drawn from anything other than data from the PISA 2015 study. Um, And a supplementary report by the OECD shows that disadvantaged schools in Australia experience more teacher shortages, 
higher teacher-student ratios and more shortages or inadequacy of materials in education resources than advantage schools. Advantage schools are much better equipped to provide opportunities to learn in Australia than disadvantaged schools. Now, the extent of this gap um, 20 years ago was bad, but now it's startling, now it's shocking, because Australia has the largest gap in teacher shortages between disadvantaged and advantaged schools in the OECD, the largest gap, and the fourth largest of the 70 countries and regions participating in PISA 2015. Now, bear in mind that of the 70 countries that participate in, in PISA, um, a large number of them are not in the OECD. They're not developed countries. But still, we're doing worse than, than many undeveloped countries. Um, and of all the countries in the world that, <laughs> that are in the PISA, we are doing better only doing better than two. Sorry, three, I should say. The three of them are the United Arab Emirates, are doing worse than us when it comes to teacher shortages. Peru is doing worse than us. And Buenos Aires, which is obviously in Argentina, but they don't have data for all of Argentina. They just have data for the Buenos Aires region. So those three countries are doing worse than Australia. Everyone else on the planet is doing better, from Kazakhstan to Afghanistan to India to Pakistan to Singapore to Peru to Finland to the US to the, U- to the UK. Everyone's doing better than us except for these three countries when it comes to gaps in teacher shortages between the rich and the poor. Inequity in the allocation of educational staff between disadvantaged and advantaged schools is the highest in the OECD and, and there's a PISA measure, that's all the 70 countries, um, we're only worse, the only two places worse than us are Peru and Buenos Aires. Australia is one of only seven OECD countries where disadvantaged schools have a higher student-teacher ratio than advantaged schools, and the gap in Australia is equal to the second largest. Australia's gap is equal to the 12th highest of the 70 countries participating in PISA. Now, what this means is that we've got a federal education minister, Christopher Pine before him and now Birmingham, saying that student-teacher ratios don't matter. But in Australia, if you go to a wealthy school, you're going to have a very small student-teacher ratio. And if you go to a state school that services a disadvantaged area, you're going to have a very large student-teacher ratio. Because no matter what these federal education ministers say, in Australia there is a significant difference. In fact, we are the worst when it comes to student-teacher ratios of any country in the OECD country. Because back in the 1960s, when state aid first began, one of the main reasons the uh, voters were asked to agree to giving state aid to private schools was because in the Catholic schools, the poor Catholic schools, the student-teacher ratio had got out of hand, that there were there were classes which they claimed were too large and therefore we had to label those children disadvantaged even though sometimes they were in very with very wealthy um, uh, orders like the uh, Xavier and other other um, I think that's the Jesuits and other groups they were very wealthy orders but they were not putting the money into the schools and they had very high student teacher ratios and people were not going in to become brothers so we were uh, asked uh, to give state aid 
because the student-teacher ratio was too high. And now Mr Birmingham and Mr Pine are telling us they don't matter. And the data is telling us that Catholic schools have a lower teacher-student ratio than state schools. It's now flipped on its head. It's now to the point where inequity um, is in Australia is, is in fact the worst in the developed world, on the planet. You know that big ball that floats through space, if you're not a flat earther. Um, that one, um, yeah, we're now the worst in the world when it comes to teacher-student ratios. Um, and I'm, I'm going to talk a little bit more about that now, but also in terms of the teacher-student ratios, the inequity involved when it comes to town schools and city schools. Because Australia also has the largest gap in teacher shortages between town and city schools in the OECD. And the gap in the shortage of teachers between rural and city schools, so that's right out the back because we do pay attention to rural stuff in Australia, is the fifth largest in the OECD. So between town and city, we are the worst. And between outback schools and otherwise, we are the fifth worst. So all those national party people out there who think they're for the country, um, yeah, this whole Gonski thing, what's going on is just not... It's not, it's, not, it's not of benefit to you. But let's just talk about people. Let's talk about resources. Let's talk about buildings. Let's talk about stuff. The inequity in the allocation of material resources in Australia, the inequity, okay, we're the fifth worst, okay? And of all the 17 participating people in PISA, we're the 15th worst. So when it comes to stuff, we're no great shops as well. We say, well, that's okay. They just need lots of computers and stuff. They don't need the teachers and student-teacher ratios. To, well, we're not winning there either. When we set them up as computers and we have IT experts, they, are, they prove to be um, very close to being members of the criminal class. Unfortunately, certainly they have defrauded the taxpayer. Oh, I think what Jean's referring to there is the fact that once you start corporatising and privatising the allocation of IT resources out. and contracting it all out, um, yeah, you just open yourself up for fraud. Um, how do we know this? Because that's what happened. <laughs> yeah, because you don't have an education department to run it, you just contract it all out. Um, so, yeah, you get into those situations, which has now led us to being probably, we, we are amongst the worst in the world when it comes to this stuff. Now, a feature of the latest PISA results is the continuing high inequality and inequity in educational outcomes in Australia. Now, the high proportion of disadvantaged students don't achieve international minimum standards. I'll say that again. A high proportion of the disadvantaged schools in Australia don't achieve minimum standards in reading, mathematics and science. And they are three or more years behind in the learning of advantaged students in those regards. In fact, they're not just three years behind. They're not actually achieving the minimum standards. The high proportion of students in provincial and remote area schools are also below minimum standards and are two and a half to three years behind advantaged students. That's just depending upon whether you live in the country or not. It's got nothing to do with your parents or anything. It's just, just whether you happen to live out there. It's, it's shocking because when you come down to it, the OECD reports on the PISA results state categorically achieving equity in education means ensuring that students background, their status, how much money their parents have, has little to do with how much they learn. Like, that's, that's just fair. <laughs> that's just all about equity and not equality. It's just about equity. The quality of your education should not depend upon how much money your parents earn. Learning should not be hindered by whether a child comes from a poor family. 
has an immigrant background, is raised by a single parent, or has limited resources at home, such as a computer or a quiet room, to, so they can study. Successful education systems understand this and have found ways to allocate resources so as to level the playing field for students who lack the material and human resources that students in advantaged families enjoy. So the rest of the planet, certainly the civilised rest of the planet, recognises this, has allocated funding on this basis and has, in comparative terms, succeeded in comparison to us here down on the bottom of the planet, if that's the way you look at the way the planet rotates, us here in Australia, who haven't, and we don't, and we're not going to, and no-one's even talking about it when it comes to state and, and federal education leaders. And but I, I, I'm not talking pie-in-the-sky stuff here. Yeah. I, I'm, not, I'm not sort of talking some left-wing think tank. I'm talking about the OECD. I'm talking about what the organisation... Of communities, um, economic and like I'm talking about the rich people, I'm talking about the people who succeeded up until this point in history. This is what they are doing, and this is what we are not, because the more students learn, according to the OECD, the more the whole system benefits. This is an important message, revealed by the PISA results in countries and economies. This is not just people; this is now economies, or political economy, as Jean would say, and I would agree where more resources are allocated to disadvantaged schools, overall student performance in science is higher. Well, overall performance in science and maths and English is higher. And guess who that benefits? Everybody. And that's the one thing that we're not doing here in Australia, demonstrably not doing here in Australia. The point I'd like to make is that it has not always been so. Although we didn't have the computer age and we didn't have all of this, these facts and figures, back in 1955, when Freeman Butts, uh, an international educator, visited Australia and compared us to America, which was a very powerful nation even then, with a very um, interesting education system, he said that Australia was leading the world, largely because of our centralised administrations and the health of our public education system. And we now have an unhealthy yes. public education system because we have deliberately cannibalised it. We have deliberately funded the parasitical private school system, which sucks the resources out of the centralised administration, which we now no longer have. I mean, we have federal ministers of education saying, why is there a federal education department? We don't need it. We need to privatise the lot. We need to get rid of any centralised control. We need to distribute the control to, oh, I don't know, uh, subcontractors. And that's worked in the TAFE system, hasn't it? And we're not producing the teachers, and the teachers we are produced, and the principals are placed under, well, breaking point uh, Situations. Well, it's actually, it's actually kind of worse than that, Jane, because having worked in teacher training, certainly in, in, in several universities around Victoria, of the undergraduates that come through the teacher training services in the major universities, one third of them never intended to teach in the first place. Mm. One third of them intended to teach for a certain period of time, mm. and one third are what you would, you and I would call genuine teachers, which mm. are people who wish to make a vocation, mm. who wish to give the public the service of their skills as a teacher. They are genuine public servants. They happen to like children, and you know, and that's all very well. But within each of those three groups, the students coming through 
are refusing to work in the state school system. Mm. They want to work with nice children in nice schools and they are refusing to work in the state school system because it's got to the point where the inequity is so bad that these people are making choices and decisions to abandon to abandon yeah. the state school system completely. Well, they've got a few problems, of course, because the, the private school system is not a particularly good one to, well, this to work is what, in well, either. Well, this is what they're finding when they're getting to the yeah, system. They get so. themselves into a nice school, and you know what? Within three years, they're out because yeah. there is no such thing. Yeah. There's just children and there's teachers. And, yeah, I mean, you might have a pretty classroom, but... Um, <laughs> The Catholic Education Office is not a good employer and are the, any, if there is any improvement in resources and um, conditions for teachers, then it's fought for by the public school unions. <sighs> and, yes. So I mean, that's been the case. There's many interesting people who get in, get involved in the nice school and the Catholic Education Office and find themselves in a situation where they have to quote their rosary in the, in the job interview and they go, what? Oh. What? And, and then they're told, actually, no, this is the Catholic Education Office. You have to um, subscribe to Catholic values if you want to get your paycheck. And they go, oh, yeah, okay. Now, of course, if religion is one of the hurdle requirements to employment in a school, if subscribing to religious beliefs and values is an employment requirement for working in a school, then I think you do, Jane, get back to the Constitution because who's paying the bills? Who's paying, who's paying that teacher who's sitting in that job interview having to quote the Hail Marys? The answer is you are, Jane, well, and uh, I am. The because, local because priest is often in that interview and has been for a long time, particularly for um, principals, even though they denied all of this in 26 days in the High Court. I make no mistake about it. In that system, the hierarchy decides who is going to be teaching children. Oh, and as we have discovered with the Royal Commission, that particular hierarchy you're talking about is, well, the one thing it isn't is it's not accountable. Mm. It's just not accountable. The Auditor General in Victoria said, where does your money go? And the Catholic Education Officer says, we're not going to tell you and we don't have to. When it comes to employment processes and procedures within the Catholic Church, the Catholic Church says, canon law states that we don't have to tell you. Commercial inconfidence. What's commercial inconfidence, if you're talking about that? But more than that, canon law overrides Mm. common law when it comes to these particular religious institutions employing people using taxpayers' money. That's what happens today. And then they complain about Sharia law. Well, this is... Well, um, yeah, indeed. We have it both ways, yes. We don't want any of these religious laws um, taking precedence over the law of the country in in, um, Australia. And this is why um, the uh, legal system was undermined in our court case and it's still being undermined. When you say our court case, Jane, perhaps you can explain that. That is the high court case in 1981 when we took state aid and it's... um, constitutionality to the High Court and uh, we proved our point but uh, six of the seven judges uh, gave us uh, the wrong well what we considered to be a mistaken judgment. Uh, Murphy's dissent will come come to fruition in time. And if you're interested in, in the details of that they are actually highlighted in a book that Jean has written called Contempt of Court. And it's on our website. And it's on our website, indeed, at www.adogs.info. Now, we've gone off, I mean, we, as we often do, we wander from the point of view of inequity into the separation of religion and the state because those two, those two things in Australia are so interestingly connected. But um, if we're getting back to the sort of whole question of equity, um, this has very practical 
this has very practical consequences. And I'd like to share with the listeners um, a, an, an inter- interesting view from the outside, a view that's given to Americans um, when they are, um, come to Australia and they have children. And when Americans come to Australia and have children, they are confronted with where should I send, often confronted with where should I send my child to school. And um, I'd just like to share something with you about um, something that is what's, what's from a website called Journalist Resource. It's, it's an American website, and it's a look at what happens practically in how Australians and perhaps Americans who come here um, are forced to deal with. And I think it's very informative because it actually points out what I've been talking about in terms of inequity when it comes to the three education systems of Australia. But we'll um, go through that in detail after, um, after these messages. Yeah, I spent three and a half years living on the street and I know what it's like to have no hope and not to feel part of the society and I think that's where a lot of these people are. But I think we need to help people who are traumatised and help people get back on their feet and give them hope and help them um, feel like they're a part of the society again instead of just moving them on like they're an inconvenience. If it were not for ruminations, how would the views of those of us who have been homeless or are homeless, how would these views ever be aired? How would they ever be expressed? Subscribe to the station that gives airtime to people with a lived experience of homelessness. Support 3CR. Following the success of last year, Relay for Life Hawthorne will be on again. Relay for Life recognises and celebrates local cancer survivors, patients and their carers and honours and remembers loved ones lost to cancer. It also raises money to help save more lives. The Relay kicks off on the 25th of March at 4pm at John Gardiner Reserve, Auburn Road, Hawthorne East. With 23 teams already registered and over $5,000 raised, now is the time to register your team or donate. Call Nick on 0477 340 600 or Joe on 0417 514 392 or search for Relay for Life Hawthorne for more information. Relay for Life is a 3CR supporter. Camp Anarchy is happening again this Labor Day long weekend, March 11th to 13th, at the gorgeous bush camp of Camp Eureka in Yarra Glen. Get out of the city, camp or stay in cabins, share delicious meals, sing along by the campfire and paddle in the creek. Over the weekend there will be a program of workshops and skill shares. Childcare is provided and costs are kept to a minimum. Anyone interested in anarchist ideas is welcome. To find out more information, go to campanarchy.org. Camp Anarchy is a 3CR supporter. On the 23rd of February, Indigenous Social Justice Association Melbourne will hold a public meeting, stop deaths in custody and hold police to account. In 2004, 17-year-old TJ Hickey was killed during a police action in Redfern. Ten years later, 22-year-old Miss Sue died in custody in South Headland, Western Australia due to police and medical staff negligence. Speakers include Guna Yandi Woman and 3CR broadcaster Viv Mallow, Makai Issa, campaigner against racial profiling and Alison Thorne, ISJA 
Melbourne's founding member and anti-fascist activist. The meeting will be held at Solidarity Salon, 580 Sydney Road, Brunswick at 6.30 on Thursday, February the 23rd. Check out ISJA Melbourne's website or Facebook page for more information. ISJA Melbourne is a 3CR supporter. Welcome back to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. You're joining me, Robert, and Jean and Dale here in the studio as we discuss in detail um, the nature of Australia's education systems from an American perspective. Um, from an American perspective, and this particular article which I'm talking about is called School Choice, How Parents Select High Schools, A Look at Australia. Now, the tags on this are high schools, school choice, and the other tag, of course, is segregation. Mm. Because in Australia, um, we don't have to look very far if we're going to look at um, segregation and apartheid when it comes to the education systems. So to highlight from this article, they say, when given a choice of public schools, middle-class parents choose those located in wealthier areas with fewer immigrants and fewer residents who practice minority religions, such as Islam, Hinduism, um, and this is highlighted by a new study. Now, the issue is um, some critics of public education argue that school districts in America need to offer parents more options so they can select the education programs they think are best for their children. Proponents of school choice in America often promote charter schools, that is, public schools operated by private entities, and vouchers that allow low-income students to attend private schools. In some parts of the United States, school districts, as a way to provide more options, have eliminated school attendance zones. This allows families to pick their children's school instead of requiring them to send their child to a campus closest to their homes. And this is um, from an interesting study published in the Journal of Education Policy in December last year called Shopping for Schools or Shopping for Peers. Public schools and catchment area segregation. But in a summary of the study, Emma Rowe of Deakin University of Australia and Christopher um, Lebetsky of the Indiana University examined the choice parents make when given the option of selecting a public school for their children. The authors also look at the information parents consider. Now, Rowe and Lebetsky focus, this is an American and an Australian, on two areas near Melbourne in Australia where parents can pick their children's high school instead of sending them to one that is assigned based on a school's catchment area, as is typical in much of Australia. A total of 10 high schools are included in the analysis, which consider each school's standardised test scores and the characteristics of the neighbourhoods where the schools are located. Now, the key takeaways, the key findings from this study are that high schools considered popular, inverted commas, amongst parents, generally are located in areas with high income levels mm-hmm. and a high percentage of individuals who were born in Australia. The popular schools tend to be located in areas with high proportion of residents who are not affiliated with any religious group. Overall, these data suggest a rather straightforward link between the affluence of the community and the desirability of a community school. Second finding. Schools that are considered rejected or unpopular, are located in lower-income neighbourhoods with a greater percentage of residents who were born in Vietnam or India or whose countries of birth is unknown. Rejected schools 
schools are in areas where large proportion of residents identify with minority religions in Australia, such as Islam, Buddhism and Hinduism. Popular schools have the highest standardised test scores. But the differences between the popular and the rejected schools, where example the standardised test results, is far less highlighted and dramatic in comparison to the racial, income and religious segregation that is playing out across residential and public school catchment areas. Now I think this is quite fascinating. Even within the state school system, and this is happening in certain catchment areas, in particular in Melbourne, in Flemington, and in the inner north of Melbourne, Nice parents send their children to nice schools and rejected parents send their children to rejected schools, even within the state school system. An extraordinary thing, um, and this is what's happening in Australia and indeed what's already happened in America with the charter school systems in the South. The issues of America's South in terms of education segregation are now, um, well, they're now something we've spoken about. This means the contracting out public education to private enterprise leads to a segregated, class-structured society, which is non-democratic. And this is what the dogs have been saying for the last 50 years. It's bad policy, it's bad social policy, it's bad educational policy. It is not the educational arrangement for a democracy. So... um we're going to have a little break now, and I'm going to discuss, as I promised I would, not just about equity, but I'm going to talk to you about exactly why Australia is stuffing up its education system compared to other countries and why we're continuing to do it, and indeed depressingly why our education ministers and the people involved are not looking where they should. They are looking at, oh, I don't know, they're looking at what they would term political realities. Well, political realities deal with alternate facts. And the alternate facts in Australia are that you don't, you don't annoy the Catholic Church, you don't annoy the independent school sector, because in politi- the political reality is the idea that those two organisations will kick you out of government. But Birmingham is working it out. Birmingham starting, starting just a glimmer at the edges of his consciousness, the actual facts of the situation, which are if we continue to segregate our children based upon the income of their parents, we will end up with a second and third rate educated population. Now, there was an old phrase, and it hasn't been used for a while, but I think it's going to come back. It's called the white trash evasion. Australia, at some point, in, in, have, have been called the white trash of Asia. And it, in, in that context, it lacked force, it lacked reality. It got people angry, but it lacked reality because Australia had a decent education system. And a large number of Australians were quite well educated. And you can't go around calling educated people white trash because that's not what we're not. Well, we have the international but, students that come here after all. I'm not even talking about that, Jane. I'm just talking about Australia as a multicultural, well-educated country that's fit to be called a developed nation in the 21st century. But why would the wealthy of Asia send their children here to an education system that's failing? Indeed. In fact, if you're talking about income and (laughs) trade deficits, education, if we don't do a good enough job, we're going to lose that as well. Well, they call it the education industry, but of course our children's inheritance has been sold out at every point, hasn't it? Indeed. But we'll return um, after a little bit more music and some messages. You're listening to The Dogs Program. 
the defenders of government schools here on 3CR, 855 on the AM dial, and contactable on our website too at www.adogs.info. But we'll return after this. We jail black males in Australia nationally at a rate five times greater than apartheid South Africa jailed black males in 1993. The suicide and self-harm rates are the highest in the world and the life expectancy gap is the biggest in the first world. You know, Australians don't like hearing the truth about how bad things are, but the more we resolve from it, the longer this is going to continue. Black fella, white fella, it doesn't matter what you colour. Mainstream media is not interested in this stuff. It doesn't find space to talk truthfully and deeply about issues that affect all Australians. The only place predominantly you will find that with any real depth is on community radio, and 3CR has been one of the great leaders in that. So if people are wondering where they should spend their hard-earned cash, I would suggest 3CR is a bloody good place to start. What your name is, we got the hell. Lots of changes, we need more brothers. 3CR programs provide information and analysis you won't hear in the mainstream. Today we'll be looking at the legacy of the US war on Vietnam on Laos. And as far as corporate capitalism is concerned, it is the worst political and economic system that you can have. Our laws about jailing refugees and asylum seekers are so well crafted. Sex is not irrelevant and we like who we are, but we don't have to be imprisoned by our gender. Become a subscriber today. Call us on 9419 8377 or visit 3cr.org.au. 3CR, the voice of dissent. Welcome back to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. Yeah, so why are Australia stuffing up their education systems? Well, Trevor Cobalt can tell you why. There are one, two, three, four, five, six reasons. Firstly... The continuing decline in mean scores of reading, mathematics and science across all states, all ability levels, all school sectors and demographic groups um, is happening, particularly in the country, because a high proportion of poor kids, Indigenous kids and provincial kids and kids in remote areas are not achieving international reading, mathematical and science minimum standards. They're not being resourced to. Also, there are significant increases in the proportion of students below international standards in all states except for Victoria and all, all school sectors, all school sectors amongst most demographic groups, particularly in mathematics, except for extraordinarily wealthy children. There are continuing declines in, in the proportion of students at the most, advantaged read, most advanced reading mathematics and science levels across all states. That is, we're getting fewer and fewer really good kids. Also, there's a continuing gaps in reading and mathematics and science, not based upon anything other than the fact that children come from either wealthy or poor families. Also, Indigenous and remote area students are three or four years behind the learning of, this, of, of, of their contemporaries in the cities. And there's a continuing very large achievement gap between the highest and lowest performing students of 10 or more years of learning. So basically, in late high school, the problems don't get any better. There's no catching up. And that's according to Trevor Cobalt in an interesting uh, paper he wrote on his website called What's Behind Australia's Tottering Pisa Results. We're going to be dealing with this in detail as we always do in weeks to come. But Jean, you've got some comments. Yes, well over in America uh, there have been some developments. Uh, Mr. Well, well, we didn't want to mention his name and uh, we thought for a moment 
uh, before we started the program of perhaps playing his conversation with educationists. Uh, but when I listened to the conversation, uh, Mr Trump was there to listen to other people, but Mr Trump listened to Mr Trump, and he certainly picked out the people that he wanted to talk to. They were mainly charter school people, and he passed over fairly quickly any public school people. But um, Betty DeVos uh, is now the Education Secretary. On the tide vote, which was broken by uh, the Deputy President, Mr Pence, and uh, Mr Trump uh, was calling Betty DeVos a genius, a lady of great courage and genius. Well, the public school people um, find her a bit less uh, than a genius and there was a lot of protesters when she went to a public school. She actually went to DC Jefferson's Middle School. She chose to visit it on February the 10th and the situation where there were many protesters there and she couldn't get into the school uh, from the front entrance made the national news. And uh, it, was, it was quite a good protest. So what did not so obviously make the news was DeVos's press release. She put out a press release herself regarding the incident. And here is the um, text of what Miss DeVos actually said. And um, what is of interest was her final statement. Uh, and this was what she said. The US Education Secretary Betsy DeVos travelled to Jefferson Middle School Academy today. Oh, that's on February the 10th, last Friday week. And met with DC Public Schools Chancellor Antoine Wilson, Jefferson Academy Principal Greg Doman, Superintendent Natalie Gordon, Chief of Schools John Davis and other school leaders and administrators, including the Jefferson Academy teachers and students. And this, this was the statement from Secretary DeVos. She thanked all the uh, people that she met uh, and she mentioned that Jefferson Academy is a public middle school on the rise and a great example of the successful collaborative innovations occurring within the DC public school system. She made a, a, a great deal of how they were focusing on their students and families. She said that she respected peaceful protest but said that she would not be deterred in executing the vital mission of the Department of Education, which, of course, begs the question. No school door in America, she said, will be blocked from those seeking to help our nation's school children uh, because she got in the side door. Uh, DeVos ends her press release with, No school door will be blocked from those seeking to help our nation's school children. But uh, the person on who, who, who produced this information on Diane Revich's website had this comment to make about DeVos's statement. Let's consider what DeVos says here. No school door in America will be blocked from those seeking to help our nation's children. 
And let's consider what she omits when she says that. First of all, DeVos has omitted the word public in describing the schools in America. Private schools set their own rules. And DeVos favours sending public money to private schools and she has not committed to equal accountability for all the schools receiving federal money, whether traditional, public, charter or private. So it seems it could have been a bit awkward for DeVos to offer a statement about no public school being blocked because private schools can block who comes into their uh, front door or their side door because they are not accountable. They are private. Next, DeVos's final statement is unrealistic. Just because a person purports to be a helper of the nation's school children does not mean that person should gain automatic and unquestioned entrance. Safety issues come into play, for example. Thirdly, DeVos obviously considers herself to be among those seeking to help our nation's school children, but that doesn't mean that she really is a help and it doesn't mean that the public will just now discard DeVos's history of aggressively favouring school choice and virtually ignoring and working to dismantle the neighbourhood public school. And finally, the statement, her statement about seeking to help, is a very vague one, and it's vague enough to encompass the private school voucher dog whistle that DeVos clearly favours. So that left the person who was commenting on Diane Ravage's website, wondering what DeVos considers to be the vital mission of the Department of Education. Because what they hear in these words is yet another voucher-favouring dog whistle. The commentator <coughs> agreed with DeVos's uh, statement that protest should be peaceful, but she wondered how long it would be until DeVos tried to initiate a conversation with those who are actually protesting because she has the upper hand. She doesn't say that her own door will remain open or will remain blocked to those who support public schools who are concerned about her leadership. So uh, that is what is happening over in the United States and I think that we need to keep a very good watch on it. Absolutely, Jane. You've been listening to the Dogs Program. We are the DOGS, Dogs. We are the Defenders of Government Schools here on 3CR, 855 on the AM dial and indeed podcast on the 3CR website. If you're interested in what we've been talking about, please um, go onto our website at www www.adogs.info That's www.adogs.info But we'll be back again next week to defend government schools because they need defending in these very troubled times. But as Trevor Cobalt said, the struggle is long but hope is longer. Yes, and be a, and be a good cheer. Mm. Um, we have to actually... Uh, I, I, well, I, th- I think the positive thing is that a new generation is being politicised. Whatever else you can say about the current situation, it may not be pleasant to wake up every morning to the news about what has been on the next tweet, but we are being re-politicised to work out just exactly what our values are. Yep. And, and it's not just over there, it's here as well. It's here as well. In the studio, in the country. Above all, we have 3CR 
and we can say all of these things and we can stay together and we can communicate with each other and we can battle on. But we can only do this if we keep 3CR going. So we would like to think again this year, you to think about your subscription to 3CR. $70 for those who are working and half price for those who are not. So dogs will be coming around to the usual supporters for that subscription in the next week. But for the moment, battle on, and it's bye for now. Bye.